Good morning. This morning we're continuing this series uh, looking at discipleship. And, and so we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. Um, so reading in the first verse. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our service. The one who teaches, in his or her teaching. The one who exhorts, in his or her exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you as always for how you're with us. We thank you for your word, and I just invite you to be among us, and may all that is said and shared be for your glory. In Jesus' name. Well, this passage, anybody that has, knows me for very long or has heard me preach or uh, is part of my church, you'll know that especially uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, um, I, I happen to love that passage. I mean, I love to preach it. I love to talk about it. But often I'll preach it, kind of break it down. But here we read, I mean, 18 verses, a pretty good chunk. But I want us to think of it more in the, in the big picture. Because this passage, one of the reasons that, that, I, that I love it is that it so fits with discipleship and what the Christian life, what it means to follow Jesus, what is the goal and the target. And Paul just kind of summarizes it beautifully here, I think. Sometimes Paul can get kind of wordy and all over the place, but I think he just gives a very significant and concise explanation of what it means to follow Jesus. So... As we've thought about it, um, and you certainly see it, especially in the, in the first few um, verses here that we read, 
We've talked about discipleship, what it is, what it meant, what the word really meant, what it meant in the culture, what it meant in the uh, Jewish culture, what it meant in the Roman culture, and it's the same thing. It means to truly follow and to, and to become like the one you're following. We've said over, it, it is not as much about the information, while you need to know the information, and there's important information, but it is not, that's not really what makes you a disciple. It is the transformation. Or it's not about just a belief, a set of beliefs, but it is about what you're becoming. We talked about that the first week. And then last week, we looked at what it looks like. So we, get a, we got a definition of discipleship, and then we started on what does it look like? And we talked about five aspects of things that you could implement that, that was one way, using the word train, about you know, moving forward towards towards God that, that you could think through. This week, we're going to begin, because the, the authors of the resource we're using kind of takes then, you know, the life of a disciple and breaks it down into kind of six behaviors or categories, uh, things that can be implemented or seen. And we're going to look at those, um, kind, of, kind of break them down. And this week, we're going to look at the first two that they mentioned, which are worship and hospitality. And that's part of why we, we read these verses is because you see worship and you see hospitality mentioned in both of them, along with some other stuff. But those are the main things we're, we're going to think about. Now, when you say worship, and when we think of worship as, as the church, especially over the last you know, 200 years in North American Christianity, we think of corporate worship. You know, Sunday morning worship, or maybe you know Sunday, Sunday night, or Saturday night, or whenever your church Wednesday night worship. Or, but we think of gathering uh, often on Sunday, but gathering for you know hours, some are hour and a half, some are two hours, but a worship service together in, in in a certain building, and gathering for corporate worship. And while corporate worship is essential, it, it is essential. And gathering for corporate worship is significantly important. And you see it all through Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, that people who are followers of God, who believed, got together for corporate worship. And the word worship just means service, sacrifice, service of the work of offering to God. It, it literally means this idea of service, of serving, serving God. So when we talk about it is all for God's glory, it is celebrating God's glory. But there are things that you can experience, ways you experience God and, and can experience the, the life of a follower in corporate worship that maybe you can't in other ways. And so I just want to briefly think about corporate worship, that one of the things, you know, Scripture says God dwells in our praises. It is, it is an opportunity for us to get together and offer it's scripture, a sacrifice of praise to God when we just praise God's name in multitude of different ways. Um, contemporary songs, you know, traditional songs, and, and how we read liturgy or whatever, whether high church, low church, whatever type. But the idea of praising God, that God can dwell in that, God dwells in our midst. It is participatory. The goal is for us to participate and, and share and offer our praise to God, offer ourselves. That's why we, you know, have an offering. We offer our our sacrifices. Sacrifice our ourselves. Our, you know, you're sacrificing an hour of your your day 
um, you're sacrificing yourself in being there. It is that is the idea of worship. And there are ways and there are times that God can dwell in that. When a when a community gathers and is really hungry for for God's glory and and wants to repent and do whatever it is to to host God to to experience God and to just be thankful for God's faithfulness and God has a way that that is an atmosphere conducive to to Holy Spirit showing up. God can dwell in that, and hopefully there's times you've experienced that in corporate worship. There's also times that maybe, maybe you don't experience it to the certain level of other times in worship. And, and, but that is important. There, there are ways that, that you can just experience and worship God corporately that you can't in other ways. One of the other things for me that corporate worship does, of gathering for corporate worship, is it just has a way of reminding, reminding us that we're not alone. We're not alone on the journey. You know, there's a group of other people that, that want to worship, that want to honor God. We're not alone in the fact, you know, we celebrate communion and we, we talk about uh, pray and pray for one another and repent. We're not alone in the fact that we need Jesus. We mess up. So there's something about gathering and worship. We realize we're not alone and even needing Jesus, needing forgiveness. We're not alone in trying to live this, this journey. We're not alone because sometimes it, it's difficult. As we said, it is about transformation, not just information. And and it's one of the reasons I love these two verses, because you see that laid out. You know, offering yourself to God. And then it says, don't be conformed to the world. And I've I've preached this and said this a multitude of times. You know, conformed means to be changed from the outside in. And the world and people and other stuff and the enemy always wants to change us in a negative way from the outside in the world always wants to change us from the outside in the enemy the world well it's not about it just change from the outside in it is about the transformation which means change from the inside out it's the word morphe where we get metamorphosis it means totally different and and long-term change that is changing into something different from the inside out. That's what God wants to do. And it comes from letting God renew our mind or change the way we think and change the way we we act in our hearts. And that's says here is a real act of, of worship. So when we gather for corporate worship, it has a way of reminding us that there are other people on this journey of transformation, even when it doesn't, when it feels difficult and you may feel alone. And we need that encouragement and to be together, along with opportunity to worship. But I want us to take the next step. I mean, that that's kind of all I'll say about corporate worship because we we think about that. We 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 can identify with that. You know, over the last fifty years, that's that's become a dominant way that we think about living out our faith in corporate worship. And it's important. It's essential. But what is the goal? And you see here in what Paul's saying, what the goal, the target, I've said over and over, is life change, which is private worship. Private, personal, individual sacrifice and worship and, and the work and the service to God. 
serving God in your day. It is a life of worship. That's what the authors of the book we're using talk about. Is It's just a life of worship, a life of, of, of serving and sacrifice and devoting to God. And that gets difficult for us sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's easier to think about it as, well, let's just do the corporate worship thing and overlook the individual, the, the life of worship, the personal worship. But you see that all through Scripture, this personal, relational, significant experience of God. We've talked about it before. We, we touched on it last week. It will come up over and over. There's no way to be a disciple if you don't spend time with the master. I mean, that just can't happen. And so often in our lives, our lives are moments of, of personal worship, of a life of worship. We call that devotion or personal devotion or devotion time. It's a, a moment that we devote to God in our life. And it's important. You know, if we think about discipleship as doing what Jesus did, as, as following where Jesus goes, well, I remember years ago, anybody remember the bracelets? Uh, you know, it came out of that old book, I forget the name of the book, but where the community and the, the church decides to, you know, do, just do what Jesus did in, in situations and stuff. And, it, and then later it kind of sparked this whole movement. We had bracelets and everybody was talking, what would Jesus do? WWJD. You know, what would Jesus do? Bracelets and necklaces. And we still, you know, still have them, books about that, or books that were written about what would Jesus do. Well, and that's great, and it was important, and it's wonderful, and it's to think about what would Jesus do, because that's what it means to be a disciple, do what Jesus did. That's the whole point of what we're talking about. But I think sometimes where we get it wrong is, in our good human attempts to systematize everything, we think we're going to come up with a systematic list of here's the things Jesus did and just do them. So when the situation comes up, here's what Jesus did in that situation and just need to do what Jesus did in the situation. Well, our problem with that is it's really hard. It, it, it doesn't really work that great. Because you see, what the issue is, is every situation is a little different. And if you read Scripture, you find out God in the Old Testament and certainly God in the New Testament, Jesus and Jesus' interaction with people, never does the same thing twice exactly the same way. Jesus never does or says the exact same thing to anybody. You know, from, you know, the Nicodemus to a different Pharisee to the... the one at the well to the uh, rich young ruler to one of the disciples. It, it's, always, it's always different and, and unique. Same calling, same gospel, same transformation. That's the goal. But it's different. So here, here's where I'm going with this. Here, here's where this matters to, to personal worship. The thing that we see over and over in Scripture, in the Old Testament, in the life of Jesus, one of the first things you see, and you see it run through all the Gospels. If you're going to do what Jesus does and be able to know what Jesus needs to know and be able to do the right thing in a situation, you're going to have to start with the primary thing. You remember we looked at his baptism a few weeks ago? 
when he started this, this study. Then right after his baptism, it says that the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And one of the things you see Jesus do over and over is spend time with the Father and the Spirit, the other two persons of the Trinity. Before he makes a decision, before he has an event, before he begins his ministry, sometimes after something happens, he'll spend time set aside to just spend the night in prayer. Sometimes he will fast. Sometimes, If you want to be able to do what Jesus would do in a situation, it's not that we're going to be able to systematize some list of this is how Jesus operates in every system, every situation. It's going to be coming from spending time with Jesus, with God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And learning to recognize and learning to listen and learning to grow so that when those situations come, you'll know how God wants you to operate. And sometimes we get it wrong, and that's how we learn to recognize His voice and we get to repent. And But understand, that's how you really do what Jesus did. So, I want us to think in this time the personal devotion and, and how that looks. And it looks different for, for all different people. Um, and for me, it looks different for me uh, each day. I don't do personal devotion the same way every day. You know, my wife is kind of a list maker and she kind of loves a routine. When I do this, you know, she kind of gets in a routine with how she does it. I, I'm, I'm, I kind of like to do it different every day of how you, how you feel and what you do and you know, I mentioned last week, right now with my accountability partner, we're, we're reading through Joshua, and we'll read passages of that. Sometimes read more, sometimes read, read less in a day, sometimes camp out in it. Sometimes it speaks, and you just, you, you know, write things in the margin of the Bible, and I'll write things down. It'll send me down a, a trail of, of really thinking of what God said. Sometimes it's not as much, and I'll pause. Usually involved in those moments is, is time with prayer. I mentioned that last week. I'll mention that again, praying. Speaking to God, sharing with God, and listening, you know, are essential. You, you can't have a relationship without communication. And so sometimes out of those prayers, something will spark. I, I just, just this past week, I, I read, it was in Joshua, a part that just really was not very, it was just not very moving. It was kind of dividing up the land. Not so exciting of how they were delighting, you know, what they gave to one tribe. And eh, it, it, it didn't speak volumes of, of stuff to me. And so I paused out of that and, and was just kind of, kind of praying and quiet for a moment. And I looked up on my bookshelf and, and it was like just the gentle nudge of the Spirit saying, grab that one. And one book just jumped out. You know, I just noticed it and I went and grabbed it and it was... Ended up being a book on a family systems theory. That, but I ended up reading some things in the beginning of that. Didn't take long, a few minutes, just the beginning of the chapter. That, oh my goodness. Things I knew that I had forgotten, things I needed to implement in my life, things that, that I just spoke to where I was, where I am. It was Sometimes that's just how God works. Sometimes it's the devotion time is really quick. Like you don't have much time for it. My wife and I usually try to start the morning. Don't do it great every time, um, but but devotionally, I mentioned before, we we use Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. It's about the second or third year we've kind of done that. It's a daily devotion guide. It's just one little page, read it together, have a quick prayer, start your day. There are days that that's 
that's all the, the personal devotion time I have. But that's not, you know, that's not the goal. That's just to make sure together we do. And sometimes God has worked and we'll, we'll talk more, pray more, and speak out of it. Sometimes we, we just read it. Sometimes we, we may not read it. Sometimes we, we try to have family uh, time. We've, we found kind of a rhythm in, in the mornings uh, that is fit. And it's kind of a rhythm my, my family's had, we homeschool, that I've been able to join into um, since COVID, that, that's come to be a rhythm where we can just kind of have family, uh, read a scripture, have a prayer, read it's Bible time, time a little bit with God. Sometimes there's been moments we'll, we'll have worship place, play a worship song. And, but that rhythm's recently, that for me, with the family. But I can remember back in, you know, when my kids were little, and, and you would read a book and you know, read something from, go to some conference and hear somebody speak. Well, our family has you know, family devotion together every, every day or every night or once a week. And wow. You know, as a pastor, I was like, wow, we should do that. And, and we would try it. And, and I'll just be honest. If you've never done it, it's awkward. It's, it's weird. It, it feels strange. Kids giggle and laugh. And, and somebody burps and picks their nose or something. And it just gets it's off track and, and paying attention. Or if you, it, and somebody should be really simple. To where my point being is those moments that you can just implement time with God. Something's better than nothing. And it's often different. Now, I've told this story before. Y'all, y'all, I'm, I'm running out of my stories, I guess. But, hey, I remember when I got out of seminary. In seminary, I was, I was pastoring, you know, uh, in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And I would drive into Emory, uh, working on my master's. I had a lot going on pastoring, a lot going on in school, uh, you know, papers to write, a lot going on. And was newly married and had stuff at home and with my wife. And was really busy. But... But things were, I'm not, there were ups and downs, difficult, but things were well. And I remember when I got out of seminary, I was appointed to Madison, a church in Madison, and I didn't have to do school. We kind of found a rhythm in marriage, and school was eliminated. And, you know, I've been in school since I was in, you know, six, six years old, first grade. So some form of school. And so school was eliminated. I didn't, I didn't have to work on that. But I remember getting frustrated and feeling just dry and far from God. I finally realized my commute from Lawrenceville into school, which some days was an hour, hour and a half, two hours if I missed my, my window, could was a devotion time. Sometimes I'd listen to some inspirational talk or some preacher I liked on a, and have a CD or something of or sometimes a podcast sometimes I just listen to Christian music sometimes I wouldn't listen to anything and just pray sometimes I just think and listen and and give opportunity for God to work it was different but that time ended up being time I just paused and set aside was kind of open to what God was doing well Madison my commute was about three minutes and so I realized oh it took me a few months to realize oh I've got to find other moments implement personal devotion time to where it looks different sometimes it's different I mentioned sometimes I'll walk and pray sometimes reading something sometimes I'll read uh, a, a 
Mine was for his highest. I've mentioned that before. Sometimes you can get the the uh, version Bible app, and there's reading plans and devotion plans, and tons of them, and you can pick something. And some of them are short, you know, like six days, and they'll kind of help you, hold you accountable to it. There is a multitude of ways. And you don't feel like you have to do the same thing every time. My, my wife's a journaler. Sometimes I've journaled. That's that's harder for me. Sometimes when I've done it, I look back and you can see how God's worked. And you know, but I'm not as I'm a writer in the margin of my Bible. I'll just write stuff and write in the margins of the Bible. That's that's one of the things I do in tracking things and how God's speaking. But there's just tons of ways of personal devotion of learning to recognize God's voice. And if you've never done it before, and don't feel bad about yourself, if you know, it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian, you're not a, a great follower of Jesus, or you, you, you know, you just come to corporate worship and you, you've not, you just feel like that's not for me. Just try it. You st- and start small. It's that's okay. You know, the idea of an hour a day. You know, you'll hear people talk about, well, I have two hours a day. You know, John Wesley, I've mentioned the Wesleyan revival, and he would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and spend multiple hours in prayer and study and, and just devotion and prayer with God. And that, that may sound a little overwhelming. Hey, don't start there. Have you never done it before? Okay, five minutes. Read a little scripture. Say a little quick prayer. Maybe play a play a, a a Christian song on your CD player, or radio, or something. If five five minutes seems overwhelming, start with a minute. Start with you know twenty third Psalm, uh, Psalm one one hundred, Psalm one, um, John three sixteen, whatever. Just read a verse. Read one verse. Take you a couple, a few seconds. Read, you know, 10 seconds to read the verse. 10 seconds in prayer. 20 seconds in just pausing to listen. Is God saying anything? That's 45 seconds. Hopefully you make him carve out 45 seconds. But starting somewhere, it's okay. And let God work and let it build and let it let God to begin to teach you his voice. And as we said last week, it, it grows, it develops. And then eventually you may want to, you know, have somebody hold you accountable to it, have somebody you meet with, or even just talk on the phone and what's God saying? What what's God saying to you? How can I help you with it? Will you hold you accountable? What's God speaking? Is there something you need to, to deal with in your life? That, those kind of things. But just start. It's okay to start small. See what, what happens. But I will tell you, over the years I have learned the seasons that I kind of let it fall by the wayside. If I don't spend the, the devotion time, if I don't carve out a little time during the day, it could be in the morning, it could be in the evening. Some people have different rhythms of their life. It could be at lunch. It could be you know when you're, when you're at the gym, working out on the treadmill. Maybe instead of watching something, you have to hey, put a Christian devotion book or a Bible and just pray and think, uh, whatever. But the moments, the seasons that I don't have that, my life gets really out of balance. That is the goal. That is the target. Corporate worship and what we do as the church is always to bring us to a life of worship. 
I've offered to God. That is the whole point of the Old Testament law. All the do's and don'ts, all the stuff, all the things, in my opinion, it is that God wants to be a part of every aspect of your life. From how you clean your house, from how you, you raise your kids, from how you, you, what you eat, if you'll let him. So that idea of that life transformed with God is how we learn to follow him. So personal, personal worship is important. An important part of discipleship. Personal devotion time, spending time with God. Now, the next piece, the next thing, and i got to move quick because I kind of got bogged down there in, in the personal worship, but the next thing is hospitality. Being open and connecting with other people. And in hospitality, we think, and, and I want you to think that the immense diversity that you see in Scripture and in, and in especially the New Testament in the church, it's one of the things I mentioned before. But it's one of the things I love about the, the that TV series, The Chosen, that you know, that's um, out. Um, is it really portrays and you you see the diversity of the disciples? I mean, they would not be the ones that would get along. And you see that over and over in Scripture. When I've mentioned before in Antioch, that you know the diversity in the church there that would just overwhelmed people. I mean, it's significant diversity. If you think about when Paul writes a letter to Philippi, the letter of Philippians, this church he started and loved, well, look at who he started it with. We read the story, Acts 16. A woman who was a wealthy seller, a businesswoman, a seller of perfect purple fabric. I mean, the next convert is a slave girl who was a fortune teller. The next convert, convert is a jail keeper who participating in beating Paul and Silas almost to death. I mean, this diverse group that God welcomes and, and can use all these different people. It's one of the things unique and beautiful about the church. Jesus welcomed all kinds of people. Where they were and who they were and what, what socioeconomic, age level, different, I mean, just this hospitality. Hospitality was important in the ancient world, but then Jesus takes it to another step. This idea of hospitality. But I want us to also realize in this idea of hospitality is relationships, connections, connection to other people. Living that out with, with other Christians, how we connect, the personal devotion is how we connect with God, then how we connect with each other who are followers, and how we connect with the world. That's this hospitality aspect. And you know, it's one of the things, as, as I think about it, in this season that we've got this pandemic and COVID and, and church events, you know, haven't happened the way they were and people have, have not gathered in large events or there's things that we're missing. I'll just be honest. One of the things I miss is like church covered dish suppers. I mean, throughout the years, I've, I've always loved, you know, when churches would, people would bring their, their, their dishes and their food, and you get to eat, and there was all these desserts, and my wife cooks healthy, and I'm so glad she cooks healthy. I'm healthy. I get healthier every year because she cooks so healthy and it does wonderful things, but I'll just say, you know, covered dish suppers. That was the time I got to eat desserts and fried chicken and all that stuff, and you got to be together as, as a family. That idea of hospitality, of getting together, building a relationship. Well, we can sit here and we can mourn. But things are different. Think, things are different. 
Men been able to do that. Or, as I was, was reading this and thinking about it this past week, you can see it as an amazing opportunity to see the kingdom work. That if you look through scripture, if you look throughout history of the church, it is not large fellowship events that change the world. I mean, let's be honest. I love getting together for, you know, covered dish meal, but part of why I love it is it's the only place I ever get any fried chicken. And I get as much as I want. I love gathering for a covered dish meal and gathering for those fellowship moments and you know, want some because it's the only place I get um, some of the unhealthy food I love. But is that where real relationship happens? Is that where real life change? If you see that in history, it is the intimate connection with other people. That it, what I was thinking about is we have an opportunity to do what the church flourishes at. We'll be open to it. This a couple of weeks ago, we had a churchwide cleaning day. You know, churchwide, you know, clean up and come serve at the church. You know, some people painting and doing other stuff. And I noticed, and we even had, you know, kind of a simple meal afterwards. And we had a pretty good group of people that came. But all all that day, I noticed there was two by twos and two different people, and they'd be different people, and and they'd go take a project, or maybe three people take a project, and then they would sit together at lunch, and maybe. Maybe these large events of everybody doing, but we are at a season and an opportunity that if you see something needs doing, maybe just be open to asking someone else and, and two people, three people, small group, of, just do it. And how you connect with each other. And if you see somebody that needs connection in the community, a neighbor, and we have this idea of all of our neighbors, and you've got to reach your whole neighborhood for G, one neighbor and build a relationship and connect with them. And sometimes when you start talking about connecting with the neighbors and reaching out to the community, and, you know, Christians get nervous because they think I'm going to say, you know, and here's the evangelism process. You need to go knock on the door and, you know, if you died tomorrow, where are you going to go? And that's uncomfortable. Well, that kind of evangelism, that kind of thing, doesn't fit most Christians. Only about 5 to 8%. If that's your thing, go do it. But where it really makes a difference is this hospitality. This connecting and wanting to really be in relationship. And maybe you can't, you can't do it with, with everybody in your neighborhood, but maybe there's one person. Start there. One person you can serve with. One person you can reach out to. And, and see, the reason we connect this idea of worship and personal worship with hospitality is it is in worship and personal worship, especially how you experience the hospitality of God and the work and the transforming of God that allows you to offer that hospitality and live in that hospitality of other people. And it's also that personal devotion with God that God may plant a seed or give you a word or give you a book or an idea or a thought from Scripture that then later, that day or the next day, it's what you need to say. It's somebody has a question around that. That friend has the struggle or that person is, is facing something that that can help with. That's often how God works. 
Jesus sent out the disciples two by two. We saw, I just mentioned Paul at Philippi. Well, it was Paul and Silas, two people serving. And where real significance happened was one-on-one relationships and the connections. You look in the Roman world, now that's the thing that did just transformed Rome and the ancient Rome was Christians who cared for their neighbor. Who people didn't know what to do with that, who were sacrificially loving uh, the person and caring for them in ways that they just lived it out because their own personal relationship with God and their own corporate connection and having to meet in small house churches. They, they couldn't meet in large groups together. But out of those small relational components connecting other people, that is where the church throughout Scripture and throughout history, it just flourishes. And places and moments of persecution where large gatherings are not allowed in history and in the world today, those are the places the church just thrives. So I want us to think about Instead of just looking at, at what we've enjoyed about gatherings and, and hopefully they'll come back and, and are what they were, I, I can't wait for the next covered dish supper. May we realize instead of just mourning that and wanting to, to be the way things were, we have an opportunity to actually do. You know, what Paul's saying here, what we've seen throughout history of actually living out the kingdom shows up in profound ways and what is what what is just makes the church flourish what brings about powerful transformation when we are in personal devotion and, and experience the hospitality of God then we share that with other people and we connect with just one or two in intentional ways not to take on somebody as our project but just to take on somebody as a, as a friend and we care. And God has a way of working in that and honoring in that and to bring profound transformation. So today I just will close with just realizing this idea of personal worship starts somewhere. It can be small. This hospitality, just be open to the prompting and sometimes maybe just one one person connect with and see where God will work and what will happen but those are essential pieces if we're going to follow what Jesus did and be disciples of Jesus that that is a wonderful starting point that you can't overlook let us pray but Lord, I just pray that we be able to carve out a little time in our lives. Just be open to, to honoring you. You are worthy of it. You died. You gave us everything. You are worthy of carving out some time to just know you better. In whatever ways you prompt us. And, and may we see you and the other people around us. And see that it just connection with 
one other person or someone else or how we can live out hospitality. There's countless ways as well. Then may we be open and letting you love and transform us and may we learn to see the world how you see it and be part of hospitably, graciously connecting and offering and sharing who you are with the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray.